Money of mine, first of May. We've got Trav. He's back in the flesh today and he's going to rip into all the companies that are reported after market last Friday. Just hoping that no one would notice how much cash they had left. Now, you can't slip anything by JD and I. No, no. He's, uh, you've, got a, you've got a week of grillings to make up for, I think, Trav. Good to have you back, mate. Now, we're also going to do a bit of a deep dive into the AVZ saga, so which is the biggest lithium deposit in the world, but will it ever be mined? So that's going to be pretty interesting. Now, we also take a look at BCI Minerals as well. Trav, JD and Money Miners, welcome to the episode today. How are we, gentlemen? Going well, mate. It's good. It's very good to be back, Maddie. I'm, uh, I'm liking it. All face-to-face again. How did, did you after – was there a bit of a come down, Trav, after uh, being absent for the week after such an intense start for April? How would you cope with it? Mate, I must, I must admit um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to grill over the phone. You really, you really need to be in here in person with the Money of Mine team to, to, to get the word in when you want to have the word. So it's good to be back here. Right. Now, as discussed, Trav – the, the old, the late reporting strategy that some companies employed pumped the, uh, the quarterlies and the financial statements out after market on Friday, which is the absolute deadline for the end of the month for this quarterly season. Name and shame, Cobber. Thanks, Matty. I think, um, I think we should make a bit of a segment of this every, every quarter. The last Friday of the reporting month after market, dropping your quarterly, um, is a is a very sneaky thing to do, and why is that? Because no one's looking at the screens then. And on this Friday, just gone in particular, there were nearly fifteen hundred announcements on the ASX. So things can really just slip through the gaps, and there's a lot of noise. So you try and slip in the bad announcement with the rest of the noise, and hope that no one pays attention to it. So is that over half the ASX? Fifteen hundred companies. I think is that right? so when we checked, we had a chat about it on Friday, Maddie, and whenever we did the episode mid morning, and it was already over six hundred companies. But yeah, you get those sneaky ones doing it after market. It's a, it's a whole other thing. Fifteen hundred announcements doesn't mean fifteen hundred companies. Oh right. Yeah, but but it's it's a lot of bloody announcements to go on the platform, right? So um, should we do so a bit of rapid fire? I think we're going to rapid fire shoot through what caught our eye and uh, bring attention to the things that maybe the companies didn't want to bring to your attention. So New World Resources, 5.23pm on Friday. So they got 1.7 quarters left of funding. Metro Mining, 5.17pm on Friday. They've got 0.6 quarters left of cash. Black Cat Syndicate, 4.41 Friday, 2.5 quarters left of cash. Hot Chili, 4.22pm Friday, 2.3 quarters left of cash. Cobre, 4.45, they've got 2.7 quarters left of cash. Toro Energy, 4.13 p.m. Friday, 1.4 quarters left of cash. Poseidon Nickel, 4.17, 2.2 quarters left. Bellevue Gold, not a, not a cash update, but they did slip in at 5.04 p.m. that a director had sold $2 million of stock. Who was and that? Was that Michael Naylor? Yes. Selling? Yep. Name and a chairman. <laughs> Nova Minerals, 4.14 p.m. The chair resigned, effective immediately to focus on philanthropy. 
it's a it's an interesting that's a big thing that balance up, just, isn't it? Yeah, you just need to quit right now to go yeah. focus on philanthropy. Very interesting. Yeah, right. So there's a there's a common theme with the amount of quarters of cash left. There, nothing exceeding uh, half a year, just a bit over half a year. So is this pretty common? A little common tactic that is seen every quarter, lads. Well, it's a new thing by the ASX, relatively new, that they have to break down what the last quarterly spending was and how that equates to how many quarters they've got left. But um, oh, that because that's on the that so that wasn't on the five B before, was it? That quarter. I can't remember when exactly it came in, but relatively recently, they have to they have to break down, and then if it's less than a certain amount, they have to flag what they're going to do, whether that might be you know cutting down on exploration, cutting down on staff potentially whether they have plans to capital raise and so on. It's certainly not a new tactic to slip in, a, you know, a bad announcement after market on a Friday with, with a bunch of um, noise. I think there are a couple of factors that make this period of time more interesting than others to do that. One is the fact that um, you've had this flurry of new IPOs on the ASX. So there's so many more companies, right? And so there's just more noise. So you can, you can sneak in more things and there's more companies with low cash balance. Combine that with the fact that equity markets look tougher right now than they have it in quite a while. So normally you see a flurry of small equity raisings right before a quarterly so that you know they can pump up their cash balance. Um, and, and in this case, they couldn't do that because equity markets look tougher. Yeah, that funding environment isn't the same as it was sort of two years ago when a lot of these companies came public. Right. Now, lads, before we get into AVZ, we have got a bit coming up this week that we might want to give a bit of a prelude to for the money miners out there. Uh, We've got Simon Lawson coming on from Gascoigne Resources tomorrow, and he has literally messaged and said, right, I'm ready for Trav. Yeah, he's keen to face this up. In that, what do you reckon, Trav? Are you a bit pumped for that? I like the attitude. I have noticed he's been on a bit of a roadshow to promote uh, himself and his company lately, and I hope he's well aware that uh, this is not your usual promotional roadshow, Simon. Um, but the fact that he's, you know, he's he's keen he's keen for the hard questions. I appreciate and I like that. And um, Gascoigne, ooh, what a what you know, that, it's a project that's torched a lot of capital, not under Simon's reign, um, but you know, it's a very challenging project and. Um, it, a few things are really interesting to me. Tembo sort of being a part of the future, like those guys are really clever and, and they rarely swing and miss. So um, I'm, I'm going to be doing some research tonight to make sure that that's a pretty interesting conversation. And I won't, uh, I will sort of disclose our private LinkedIn message, but his exact words were after the Patriot thing, I've got a man crush on Trav, so <laughs> which sort of led to this, which was great. Sam, we've got another, we've got a fundy coming too, eh, JD? Yeah, we've got Warren Irwin who operates his fund out of Canada. He's got a few interesting stories from from back in the day, some Brex stories, talks about Voices Bay, and yeah, we're keen to hear what he's thinking about various commodities and markets today. So that should be pretty exciting. Well, the thing that really intrigues me about Warren is he's got a great strike rate of backing undeveloped projects through to acquisition and he get, gets on board early, next gen. Um, in recent history, the Arrow Uranium Deposit, he was the first institutional investor there and, and yeah, made yeah, a truckload of money. 10% of the company at one point, so that should be really good. Very and exciting. One last thing I wanted to flag with all the companies that we're going through that are flagging it late and sort of in reference to Gascoigne coming on, I think we can all sort of agree that we like it when the, the companies come and face up and, you know, they, they answer the questions. They're upfront about it. They're not trying to hide anything and that's exactly what Simon's doing. So full credit to him for, for reaching out and coming on. going to be good fun. No, right, let's get into the AVZ saga. So, look, JD, 
let's just get into the scope at the start. AVZ, there's a lot to get into. It is bloody complicated. They put their quarterly out after 6pm on Friday. Give us a bit of context on that whole saga, mate. Yeah, so it's, it's one that's been fleshed out quite a bit in the media, but we'll give a bit of the backstory for those who haven't kept up to speed with it. So they've been in suspension for almost exactly 12 months now, and when they went into suspension, they were kept at 2.7 billion dollars. And just a few months before that, they'd been kept at 4.6 billion, and they were a part of the ASX 200. So getting into that sort of backstory now, a quick comparison. So they're fighting over the rights for the Monono lithium project in the DRC. And just to compare that with a couple of the assets we're more familiar with out here, Kathleen Valley, 156 million tonnes at 1.4% lithium oxide. Pilgangora, obviously belonging to Pilgrim Minerals, their 2021 MRE was 309 million tonnes at 1.14% lithium oxide. And the Monono project itself coming in at 400 million tonnes at 1.65%. So Huge, absolute monster. That's right. So into the juicy stuff, the lawsuits now. So AVZ claims they have rights over 75% of the project. And they also claim that they have the preemptive rights over 15% of the remaining 25%. Now they're fighting with a few different parties here. They're fighting with the Chinese miner Zijin, who claim they bought 15% from the Congolese state-owned miner. And Zijin is now also pursuing a JV with the Congolese government that would completely exclude AVZ. So Zijin, for everyone that has been listening, so they're in the Pogra, they're in uh, Kamoa Kakula as well. Yeah, Adriatic, um, who we spoke about, Zijin have tenements and deposits all around in the Balkans there in Europe. Yeah, so, so very, yeah, in a lot of stuff, a lot of coin. Absolutely. So uh, another lo- lawsuit that AVZ have is with Dathomir Mining, and that's the company from whom AVZ claimed they bought 15%, a 15% stake in from in 2021. So both of these different uh, fights are going to the International Court of Arbitration and we'll sort of see how they play out. There was supposed to be a hearing on April 23rd, so a week and a bit ago, but that had been pushed back. So we'll sort of have to wait and see. AVZ has flagged that the... Um, litigation may not wrap up till September 2024. So Jeez. by that point, there would be, uh, what, two two years and five months in suspension if they weren't to trade until then. So, yeah, that's that's quite a long time. In, it's interesting a long time about, to be in limbo. And the arbitration as well. So I actually had a Sam Gillis, he's a law, lawyer, come on last year and we actually did a, a piece on, got a bit piece on AVZ after I did an in-depth dive and the interesting thing about the arbitration that he said there was an independent arbitrator, like one one bloke that was the arbitrator, not like a panel. So like the pressure on this one person for the arbitration proceedings is, which was a bit unusual. And depending on the background of this arbitrator could significantly sway what decision is made in these courts. It's interesting you say that, Maddie. As a, as a young uh, investment banker, you quite often have these law teams come into your office and give a bit of a give a bit of a presentation on on something um and it's usually m a themes just and they're just doing a bit of bd promoting themselves so that you know if a deal comes around maybe you ask them to advise the most interesting one of those sessions that i ever sat in on was an arbitration lawyer it was like and it just took me to like I, i just thought it would be completely uninteresting theme but it was the most interesting like law presentation i've ever witnessed yeah, so there's a few of those interesting ones. Sundance resources are also, they all go to the same sort of head court, you know, to try and arbitrate these sorts of 
these sorts of fights. So another lawsuit for AVZ is the class action lawsuit. Now they're fighting the shareholders of AVZ who have come up with them and sort of said that they haven't done right by their shareholders in terms of disclosure. So the company AVZ admitted in 2021 that there was disputes over these claims with the, the companies we've previously mentioned, Zijin and Dathomir. Now, they didn't tell shareholders about this until May of 2022 when they ultimately went into suspension. So what they claimed was that these were spurious and they had no foundation in law. So AVZ claims they had no need to tell their shareholders about this. But obviously the, the class action lawyers and their own shareholders think, think um, different about that. So we'll see how that plays out. That's sort of taking time. The class action lawyers have sort of tried to get shareholders who bought shares for the year or so prior to the company going into suspension and get them all on board with the, with the same lawsuit. So another interesting facet about this company, they've got an agent in the DRC, a guy called Marius Mihigo, and he's openly accused Zijin of trying to steal the project. So you can even just check his Twitter. And he's also known to have close relationships with uh, the president of the Congo. So they think this guy is quite politically connected and they think he can sort of do the job in getting the, the mining license back in their favor. So they've paid him 1 million US dollars in cash and they'd previously planned to give him 5 million US dollars for a success fee if he could successfully get them the mining rights, but that was since scrapped due to kind of outrage over the amount and questions regarding sort of bribery and those those sorts of things. So let's get into the the spending now of Yeah, because I'm interested to know, as said in this suspension time, what, what's the what's the cost of operation in suspension while they're yeah. sitting here going through all these legal fees? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting facets and the what the company's spending is just a, another one. So the the West actually reported that two of the top 10 highest paid directors in Australia are directors of AVZ and eight of their executives had compensation over FY22 totaling $13.6 million. Now, granted, a lot of this is stock compensation. So right now that's tied up and there's no way they can sell any of that, which is always what you prefer to see as a shareholder. At least they're not getting paid cash out. But just to sort of put that in comparison with two other developers that we're somewhat familiar with, you know, Chalice and DeGray. So DeGray for their exec team had in the same financial year, 2.1 million and Chalice had exec comp of 3.3 million. So that's both versus 13.6 million of AVZ, just to sort of put that into perspective. And on a more pressing matter, Friday's quarterly highlighted that less than three quarters left of funding were available for the company though that's still $27 million. So the company could quite easily cut back on exploration and cut back on various things and, you know, keep the show going for a little while longer. A, a devil's advocate might say that that Chalice and DeGray, they had the big share price moves in FY21 or F, F, FY20 um, in, instead. And so the, the, the comp isn't a like for like, but I think your point is... Um, very pertinent that that's very top heavy. Yeah. And to, to respond to that, the, the comp for financial year 20 for both of those companies I mentioned was less than the there comp for FY2022. So I guess the, the key sort of takeaways and my thoughts overall, like I think AVZ have shown pretty poor governance all up, you know, over the last couple of years. I think having their quarterly out at six o'clock on Friday afternoon, and I don't really care if they're still in suspension and they're not trading, you know, that just sort of sums up the state of the governance there. The company declared in February that its mining leases had been, that the mining licenses had been revoked. 
And that was only after the AFR, the AFR had gone and questioned them. So they hadn't even reported. And then a week later, they come and say to the market, oh, our mining licenses have been revoked because they'd been questioned on the matter. And just to sort of round out on that governance, it took the company two months to reply to an ASX query that was sent in February. You can, you can check it out. They replied a few weeks ago with a whole list of... Um, whole list of questions and it's sort of it's a lot of money to be uh, paid in compensation for uh, not responding yeah taking two months to, to answer 20 questions and, and then quarterly out light <laughs> exactly so it sort of leads into another question should this company still be suspended that's a it's a pretty sort of heated question you know one could argue that it's for the market to sort of decide you know there's obviously a lot of risks pertaining to avz's legal rights over the monono project but is is it for the company to sort of decide that, hey, we're not going to trade for over a year and longer, we'll see how, like, how long that goes on for? Or is it for the market to sort of judge? That doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. As a shareholder, you would hate to just be in limbo. There is Exactly. Well, you, you don't even know how much of the project you own tech, like, mm, until yeah. all this arbitration is completed. But we've seen plenty of cases, you know, where there's binary outcomes for for – Shareholders, like an example that sort of springs to mind is Twitter with Musk on one hand, you know, tied up in law cases about whether he has to go through with buying the company. So the market is, you know, relatively good at pricing these sorts of outcomes. And obviously it's not not a great situation for shareholders to be in, but is it for them to decide that they're still in suspension? Sort of, who knows? We'll sort of see. The, the trouble is you can't even take a capital loss, right? Like if, 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 yeah. if you did come to the view that this you know, is worthless, then as a shareholder, you can't, you can't even take the loss right now to, to, and sell it and then, you know, use that as, as an offset on, on your tax and your, your financial, your taxes, because you can't trade it. Absolutely. So, so, so that, so just to simplify it for everyone out there that doesn't understand like the suspension side of things. So hypothetically, if a retail punter put a hundred thousand bucks in, that is just sitting in there and they have not been able to touch it for two and a half years. They can't sell it for, for one year, yeah. One year. That, oh, that's yeah. how long it's been in suspension. Oh, so it'll be two and a half years by the time they arbitrate the proceedings. Yeah, would. that's when the company flagged. It could be September 2024 20, until it's all sorted out. And so there is a chance that that would remain in suspension for that entire that's two right. and a half years and their money is just locked and they cannot yeah. cannot touch it. So that, that sort of raises the questions about suspension. And my last sort of thoughts are for any investors out there, you know, corporate governance – checking the sort of management sort of skills on these fronts should just be uh, a part of every investor's checklist. You know, you should assess and you should only buy into companies where you're confident you can back the management team, you like their sort of corporate governance controls and so on. And it uh, just comes back to that whole risk of look, DRC, high-risk high jurisdiction. So that's something, as you said, you'd flag initially and this would be the worst-case scenario that could happen besides the share price going to zero this would be pretty close to the worst case scenario for a short-term investor absolutely right bci minerals trav it's a good segue talking about uh bad corporate governance i think we've got a case of um a pretty reputable board for this company oh and you're about to tell us that's going to talk up <laughs> <laughs> what's going on mate uh the marty salt and potash project Geez, you, you love your potash and your mineral sands and salt and everything. You're becoming that guru. You're like JD is for Africa and I am for PNG. It's a shame none of the projects work yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they when they do, mate, I'll be across it. Don't oh, you what's worry. going on? What's happening? Uh, so BCI Minerals, uh, look, it's it, the company 
it's an, it's again a bit of a niche corner, but you should be excited about this company because there's some pretty big names behind it. Notably, big Kerry Stokes himself uh, in his vehicle Roxby is about a 40% shareholder of this project and uh, did a lot to actually get this project uh, into construction in the first place. Aussie Super is, a, is, a, is another big fund. They cornerstone a lot of development and, and they've, they've helped make this happen too. But they are building the Marty Salt project up, up north and uh, for, for those, most people probably don't know much about, you know, salt production, right? But it's literally like sodium chloride, NaCl, it's, or halite that's sometimes cold. It's like this, you know, the stuff you bloody put on your, put on your, your food when you're eating dinner. Um, it's literally, that's what they're producing. And it's, and it's via this, um, you know, solar evaporation of, um, sea salt. And, uh, that's like a, a buddy, an infinite resource in a sense. You never, you never run out of that. It just keeps washing up. And there are these big production, um, centers on the coast of, of WA, Dampier Salt and Rio Tinto has, um, a majority interest in, in those facilities. And they produce just, you know, enormous quantity of salt and make good money in the process, but you never really get too much granular insight as an investor because it's you know, the, the pun there, Trav. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you, you, granular, <laughs> um, you know, but you never really see too much because you know it's a small part of Rio Tinto, big company. So this is this is interesting because for the for, you know one of the first times we can really look at um, a salt project as as an investor on a publicly listed company and it's the main thing so they're going to tell you everything about it i suppose i've always i've never even thought of where it comes from they're not getting into pepper as well are they or is it not a <laughs> usual business uh merger there yeah. I, I don't think you mind pepper maddie i think that's um derived from plants but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but you know it's a good question you don't even mind bicarbonate soda like is that that's right? literally it's literally mined yeah so i mean look don't don't so it's not a stupid question, but it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no stupid questions are stupid people. I found. <laughs> uh, so look, the news the news that came out from BCI it was actually Friday aftermarket was that they had uh, executed a, a sixty million dollar funding package with both Kerry Stokes's vehicle and Aussie Super, and it, it's it's a con- convertible notes. Um, and this, the, the, I'll get into what these notes are after I, I tell a bit more of a story um, of of the company. So if you go back to, to October 2021, uh, that's that's when BCI came out and they said that their, their debt funding to actually fund this project was secured and it is a pretty huge CapEx number, right? We're talking $1.2 billion and that was back in back in 2021. The, the, the parts that made that all come together is the fact that NAIF, which is the North Australian Infrastructure Fund, were, were, were indicating support for $490 million. Export Finance Australia, 110 million. So there's government, low cost government debt in, coming in there for $600 million, which really just makes a $1.2 billion capex palatable because they'll do it at low cost and long term because there's these, you know, um, national interest in, uh, incentives there for them. Then, you know, banks would be another $140 million, some cost overrun and guarantees, $170 million. And then equity was was flagged to consist of uh, $360 million for the, for the rest of it, right? Then in 2022, as they were building the project, like a lot of other developers, they encountered some cost escalation. The MD, Owen Vorster stood down, David Boshoff joined as the MD um, and they had some some board reshuffles as well. And 
they're, so they're, they're, they're going about de-risking and constructing this, you know, and they start with the, the, the accommodation and, they, and then they got to construct the ponds. And then, you know, as, as all of these like elements come together, then they'll build the plant. But, you know, there's a, there's a process that, that has to happen in which these ponds get commissioned over time. So you want to time everything really well and it takes a long time. And so the debt piece, the actual debt funding, um, it actually, they haven't drawn down this debt yet. In fact, I think to the best of my knowledge, it looks like, there's still some conditions that would, would need to be met until they actually have a facility um, and, f- and final documentation to, to draw down these respective facilities. So because they've had this cost escalation, they, it appears they're going through this process of optimising the feasibility study and that's penned to sort of come out in the fourth quarter of this calendar year. And I think when that comes out, th- those will be the new numbers that need to get flushed out in order to have the whole debt syndicate um, and able to be sort of drawn down um, as they as they require it for those you know final items of the of the whole capex budget. The, the challenge is they're, they're, they're building they're a single asset developer building in, in iron ore territory and trying to compete for labour where things are pretty pretty expensive, right? But to date they've made good progress doing just that. However, I think this convertible that was was issued on on Friday is basically funding that kind of gets them through until that optimised feasibility study gets out, lets them keep building the project um, and, and effectively in, in, in the process of doing so, um, and I, you know, will enable the, the rest of the funding to become available to actually get it, get, get it all away. So if you look at this convertible that, that they issued, Kerry Stokes and Aussie Super effectively fork up 60 million bucks and they will earn interest on those notes at a, at a, it'll step up to a 13% interest rate. And then those notes will convert to shares at what is current, well, at the time of issue, it was an 87% premium to the share price and they'll convert it on the 29th of February, 2024. So about a year from now. However, if, if BCI have to do an equity raise beforehand, then they'll convert at a share price, which is a discount to that equity raise. So it looks to me like these convertibles... Um, you know, it's a pretty a pretty good outcome if 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 BCI are actually able to deliver on time and you know for a reasonable budget. If there's a, a, a part of the debt syndicate that looks a bit rocky, or or if construction blows out and they have to do another equity raise, then the dilutionary impact of of that repricing that happens, you know, um, is is going to be pretty substantial to other shareholders other than Roxby and Oz Super. The upside of this project, though. Is phenomenal. The asset has potential to spit out $250 million of EBITDA per annum for 100 years if you know mining and port leases can be extended. And just look at look at their look at their board, right? Like I flagged that at the start of the piece. Their board is filled with like the sort of names you'd expect of an ASX 100 miner. But this is effectively like a microcap stock. It's Brian O'Donnell, Miriam Stanborough, Richard Court. Garrett Dixon, Chris Salisbury. Like these are really reputable names in the corporate governance scene. What is their market cap, Trav? What are they sitting in around? 290 million. 290 million, yeah. So I think we, I think, you know, let's, let's hope this thing can get in, into, into production. And, and when it does, uh, it'll be really interesting to watch. I think the, 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 the salt piece totally makes sense to me. The, the SOP production bit, the potash production bit, I'll be pretty curious to see if they can actually make that work. I was going to ask, has there sort of been lessons learned from other SOP hopefuls that haven't quite <laughs> made the cut? Well, some, some of those SOP hopefuls had no problem producing 
uh, salt. They produced plenty of halite, but that was the problem. The, when you were trucking that halite from these uh, salt lakes that are pretty uh, stranded, you can't, the, the economics don't stack up. In, in this case, you know, they're, they're producing that salt at a port, so the logistics piece so all fits it, together. So that's a, a, a very long pier that they have out because it's a shallow port. Am I right in saying that? And then they, they don't have to really truck it at all. No, it's, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's um, like super efficient logistics route, right? Um, and uh, But the SOP part... Um, could be could be could be more complicated. The chemistry is pretty tricky, and the the peers. So like you look at you look at Dampier Salt, the um, you know Rio Tinto majority owned piece. I I it's hard to tell, but I don't think that they have this you know SOP bolt on um, that 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 BCI is going for. So uh, you know it's only twenty eight percent of the revenue of the project, and it'll still make amazing money uh, if 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 that part doesn't quite come together. But but I um. The jury's going to be out. I'll, I'll, I'll remain sceptical until we get some uh, real SOP production in WA. Yeah. Uh, Trav, do you want to uh, for the do a bit of finance tutoring for the money miners out there about convertible notes, mate? It, more, just a ba- basic, when a company needs money, the options of equity raising, bank debt, or there's these convertible notes. Why do you go down the road of a convertible note? A convertible is a bit in between. It's a hybrid of debt and equity. And they can be structured in really flexible ways. In in this case, um, you know what, what what defines a convertible is it? It will have characteristics of debt. In this case, it's paying an interest rate until a point at which it converts. And, and sometimes there's a mandatory conversion date. Sometimes the holders have the right to convert early, etc. So in this case, there's a defined maturity date at which point um, they will convert, and the conversion price is predefined. And all of these decisions, they basically are allocating risk proportionate um, and, and, and basically can, can enable a different risk appetite um, that's somewhere in between equity and debt and somewhere that's maybe, you know, less dilutionary than equity, but, um, you know, more, more, more palatable than, 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 than debt as well. And that, that conversion rate is often uh, like a notable premium to where the share price is trading. So not like when a company does an equity raising and that's done at a discount, if yep. you're getting a con note, and you're getting that interest rate and you have the right to convert it, it's often at a significant premium to whatever the share price was when you uh, took on that that con note. As in, as in the, the share, so you're getting less shares than you would have at the start or you're getting more shares than you would have at the start? You have the right to convert it at an exercise price yep. that is significantly higher than what the share price is trading when you uh, interact that in that engagement. Mm. Uh, so that... that results in way less dilution than if you did it as an equity raise, right? Okay. It's, a, it's a premium price. Um, and then, but but the catch is you've got to pay interest. And, you know, in this case, the premium is 87%. So the, the conversion price is 87%. However, the interest rate steps up to 13% pretty quickly. So, you know, there's this trade-off between interest rate and, and the premium. You can value a convertible based on, um, you know, the, the option dynamic that's in there and, and also the... Um, if you, if you break it down into its its debt component too. So is it, is it usually the case when the funding is coming from an individual or one organisation, so in the case they're getting it from Kerry Stokes, is that when con notes are usually used? Totally, yeah. It's it's, it's a pretty sophisticated instrument and you would you would normally do it with, you know, like Aussie Super, they, they do a few of these. I think they, they did one with Syrah on um, last week as well. So Adriatic, who we spoke about on Friday, had with Queens Road Capital a $20 million note. 
And um, Gascoigne used to have a convertible note as yeah, well. It's just yeah. one of the range of instruments, you know, like you mentioned, equity, debt, con notes, royalties, all these sorts of things that companies can sort of explore in financing their projects. Yeah. Can be, if you think of the, the journey of a developer in an ideal world, they're de-risking their project and building over time. It's that Lasson curve and then they re-rate and their share price goes higher. And so, you know, the convertible can sort of be um, structured in such a way that the, the risk is sort of, you know, effectively distributed throughout that whole process because, you know, the conversion price is, is, is one step up along, along that way on the journey to re-rating. Beautiful. And Thanks, Fee. That's great, lads. Did I cut you off there, Travis? No, you're right, mate. That's sensational. Thanks very much for that. Now, speaking of royalties, let's get into the recap. Now, Deterra received royalty revenue of $60 million in the March quarter, but I see in bold writing here and still have not done a deal. What's the go there? I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm just reading every announcement and seeing when they do a deal, Maddie. but I didn't see one today. Interesting. I feel like you want to say so much more, Trav, do you? Oh, I'm just going to keep reading their announcements and flagging if they do a deal or not. Okay. <laughs> now, Peak Rare Earths, they've raised $27.5 bucks. So Peak have got their Rare Earths project in Tanzania that we covered the other week. Uh, Gallon Lithium's HMW project mineral resource increased to 6.6 million tonnes of lithium carbonate equivalent. Uh, we've also got Evolution Energy Minerals. Uh, we've re- who we've discussed in regarding to Tanzania opening up again another Tanzania one so they've had some good graphite drill results looking to expand their Chilalo project now Labyrinth Resources ding 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 I'm a shareholder LRL they've renegotiated their gold payment schedule regarding the acquisition of the Labyrinth Gold Project in Quebec it's uh, now based on first production rather than being based on a date schedule so very flexible for their uh, goal of growing the resource and getting it into production. Now, WA Resources had some high-grade niobium hits, including 13 metres at 5%, and they're up 30% today in early trade. So going good for our WA1. Gentlemen, great. Trav, great to have you back, mate. It's Good uh, to be here. Me and JD, as we said, we did have some great energy, some great eye contact and really bonded last week. But It is strange that you've continued back. to come to my house uh, in Perth and, and hang out every day without me. That was, <laughs> that was, that was yeah, it was a bit weird. Like, it's like, it felt like I lived here, but I know I don't. So It's yeah. this setup, Trav. <laughs> Elite. Uh, right, hey, lads. Beautiful. Good Thank stuff, you guys. very much. Uh, and everyone, Money Miners, look forward to the exciting week we've got coming up. Simon Lawson on tomorrow. Beautiful. Hooteroo. Hooteroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.